You're listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. This season, one of our focus topics is an issue that many people care deeply about, farms and food. Professor Glenn Stone, who teaches sociocultural anthropology and environmental studies at Washington University, has studied agricultural issues for decades. So for the very first podcast in our new series, I asked him to speak about a concept often linked with conversations about farms and food, sustainability. What agricultural systems are sustainable? What systems aren't and why? Stone's answer took us to Africa, to India, and finally back home. Here's what he had to say. Well, I've been interested in the problem of sustainable agriculture for a long time. And my first research on sustainable agriculture was in Africa, which is interesting because it's not one of the places that you normally think of first when you think of sustainable agriculture. But part of the reason we don't think of sustainable agriculture in Africa is that it's not a story that a lot of people want to tell. Most of the people that are talking about agriculture in Africa are people who are in the business of providing solutions. So they're in the business of either selling solutions or of attracting attention to their solutions. And we weren't really in that business. We were in the business of trying to figure out how a sustainable agricultural system worked. So we did long-term research with a group of farmers in central Nigeria called the Kofiar, uh, who lived under conditions of high population density, and they were uh, with a very high productive, very highly productive agricultural system. And sustainable means uh, a lot of different things, but by any of the meanings I can think of, Kofiar agriculture was sustainable. Well, they were growing a, a whole roster of crops that included some crops that were grown for the market and some crops that were grown for subsistence and some very important crops that were really flexible where they could be either sold in the market or eaten for subsistence or they could be, if they were grains, they could be brewed into beer and the beer was used to uh, have labor parties to mobilize more labor. So they had a pretty complex and well-balanced set of crops that they were growing and they also had a, a balance in terms of how much they were committed to the market. So they were providing for their own subsistence and they were also they were also making some profits on the market. I first got involved with the African work in the mid-1980s. Um, I was doing research with uh, Robert Netting at the University of Arizona, who was a, a well-known scholar of smallholder systems, of, of small farmer systems. And he had done research with this African group, the Kofiar, back in the 1960s. And we did a collaborative project with Robert Netting and me and Priscilla Stone. Priscilla Stone and I lived there um, with the Kofiar in a, a little mud hut in a village in central Nigeria for uh, 14 months in uh, 1984-85. And um, interviewed several thousand farmers and participated in village life and um, learned a language that we very rarely have occasion to use now, except when we want a private code that we can talk to each other in because the odds of anybody else in this country speaking Kofiar are exactly zero. So, as Stone and his colleagues found in the 80s and 90s, a well-balanced agricultural system led to economic, social, and environmental sustainability for the Kofiar in Nigeria. His subsequent research in India told a different story. So I started studying um, Indian cotton farmers in 2000 and they, in some ways they seem to be more technologically sophisticated than the African farmers. 
but in many ways their farming was more unsustainable and it was there were ecological problems that the cotton farmers were using enormous amounts of pesticide on their cotton and in some ways it was economically unsustainable uh, a lot of these farmers are really deeply in debt they were buying expensive hybrid seeds they were buying they were very fertilizer intensive cotton plants and so they were spending a lot on fertilizer they were very pest prone that is they were they didn't have any natural resistance to the indian pests cotton pests and so they were spending a lot of money on pesticides um, and now there's a whole new generation of seeds that they've started to adopt, which are genetically modified seeds, which have got some pros and cons. But one of the cons is that they cost significantly more than the seeds that they were growing. But from my perspective, looking at the whole farming system, probably the most important way in which they were unsustainable was something very different. It's the sort of thing that you only, only see when you look at the whole system, which is that the the farmers' ability to extricate themselves from these problems was really compromised. And farmers always have these sorts of problems. Farmers regularly deal with pests, and farmers regularly deal with debt. Uh, but the Indian farmers are having great difficulty overcoming them. A key problem is the technology is changing so quickly that it's almost impossible for them to keep updating their skill. So the, the first reason that the technology was changing really quickly just had to do with seeds. Hybrid seeds are seeds that sometimes can provide farmers greater yields, but they can't replant them. So they have to go back to the market every year and, and get them. And hybrid seeds spread across India in the 1980s. A lot of farmers jumped into them really quickly and started making profits in the early days. But um, they started running into major problems in the late 1980s because the pest problem was going to be really bad after about 10 years of planting these crops. So there got to be this treadmill where the farmers were always looking for new seeds and new kinds of seeds were coming along. Oftentimes the new seeds weren't much of an improvement or no improvement over the ones they had before. And then starting in 2002, India first started selling genetically modified seeds. And the benefit there is that the genetically modified seeds have got a gene in them that produces its own insecticide. So that's an advantage the disadvantage is that the genetically modified technologies have been changing even more quickly than the hybrid seeds had been changing. So from the broader perspective that I tend to take on these things, the, the GM seeds have, have solved an immediate problem, while they've probably exacerbated the underlying problem. So how do the kafiar in Nigeria and the cotton farmers in India relate to the intense debate over sustainability happening here in the U.S. For our last segment, Stone brings the discussion closer to home, and in doing so, he brings up one aspect of sustainability that you might not expect. Well, after working in developing countries for several decades, I'm now starting up a project looking at American farmers. And it's interesting to look at the idea of sustainability in American farms, people talk a lot about sustainability, and that, that word has come to sort of mean anything that's less industrial farming, or sometimes it means organic, which ironically oftentimes is kind of industrial. Uh, but anyway, sometimes it's good to, to look at the whole system and ask if things are sustainable, literally, in terms of can they be sustained or not. And first you can look at the whole system and say, well, can we sustain life on this planet if we go to um, 
what we call sustainable farming, which tends to be um, smaller scale and small farms and oftentimes organic, oftentimes more locally oriented farming. I mean, can this sort of farming actually feed us? And that's a question that gets asked a lot. I think the answer to that is unequivocally yes. Um, when people talk about the the need to uh, to produce large amounts of food in the future, they oftentimes forget the fact that we're already greatly overproducing food. We produce vastly more food than the planet actually eats. In this country, um, the great majority of the grain that we produce goes to either industrial uses or goes to feeding animals, which of course does produce more food, but only by wasting very large numbers of calories in, in the process. But I've also been looking at a lot of individual farms, and this is another aspect of sustainability. Can these farms be sustained? Can they make a go of it for over a long term? And ironically, a lot of the farms that we call sustainable farms, I think are going to have major problems in being sustainable, that is, in, in lasting more than a generation. Several thousand new farms have started up. They're often oftentimes called new American farmers. They um, are sometimes uh, certified organic. Oftentimes they would be certifiable, but um, they just don't choose to get certified. They oftentimes sell a lot of their produce and farmers markets. Um, they always have got at least a partly idealistic bent. Nobody goes into small farming now because they think they're going to make a killing. And their farming is, in every case I've talked to, and I've talked with a lot of these small farmers now, they're always very concerned with ecological sustainability. The problem is it's unclear who's going to sustain their farms. Um, in an earlier time in this country, most farmers grew up in farm families, and the common pattern is that a farm would be passed on to the children. And in the last generation, we'd gotten to the point where it was very common maybe for one, one son or occasionally daughter uh, to keep the farm and keep it going, and the rest of the siblings would leave. But now we've got this new generation of farmers, and I think it's going to be highly unlikely that their kids are going to want to keep their farms going. So ironically, these farms that uh, <clears throat> went in business to be sustainable and that we call sustainable farms may turn out to be unsustainable. One of the farmers that I've been studying in Virginia was an interesting case. He has a, uh, a sustainable farm. It raises vegetables and pork. They sell it all at local markets. Uh, he does produces food really well, and uh, they're certainly make a, making a go of it. Uh, but he's retiring. He's got children, but um, they're interested in sustainable agriculture, but none of them are in a position to take over the farm. And he actually um, has got an Armenian immigrant and his family who have been helping him with the farm, and they're getting to the point where they're going to be able to buy the farm from him. So he's just delighted because his farm, because he knows perfectly well that many farms like his won't be sustained. And so this is an example of somebody who's got, even though it's not staying in his family, he's very happy that somebody's probably going to be able to take on the farm and, and keep it going doing the same kind of agriculture. Meanwhile, the big industrial farms that we usually think of as unsustainable, if you look at the whole picture, you can see that they oftentimes are doing ecological damage. But as long as the government allows them to keep doing that ecological damage, they can be sustained. 
And these farms need enormous subsidies to stay afloat economically. But those subsidies are pretty dependable. Um, we continue to uh, have really lush subsidies for our agricultural system for well-known political reasons. And so they need subsidies to stay afloat and they can depend on the subsidies. So ironically, a lot of the farms that we think of as unsustainable are quite sustainable. They're ecologically damaging and they're very expensive and they're probably a poor way to produce food, but they are sustainable. So here we are. While many ecologically sustainable farms are generationally unsustainable, many ecologically unsustainable farms are, under the current system, economically quite sustainable. But how did agriculture, at least in the United States, get to be this way? To hear more from Professor Stone on this topic, check out Hold That Thought later this week. You can find us at thought.artsci.wustl.edu. That's thought dot A-R-T-S-C-I dot W-U-S-T-L dot E-D-U. Thanks for listening.